0: I am here with Jihad, who is a core contributor at Forefront, does a bunch of writing. You've been on the show before. We'll call you a friend of the show. Um,
1: friend of the show.
0: Yes, yes. And I'm very excited to dive in to luxury media.
1: I'm excited. What was last time I was on the show? What were we talking about?
0: Oh, talking about Tokenized communities. communities. Every There's time you're on buzzword. the show it's some new yeah it's some new buzzword thesis that you've dropped. But I feel like you've been memeing luxury media you and a few other people um into existence. So I'm very excited to jam, but before we do that for people who did not hear the tokenized community episode, maybe you can give a little bit of context on you and how you got into crypto because I think it's it's valid here.
1: Yeah, I think there's that, I forget who said it or where it's from or whatever, but there's that, uh, like the career advice of like, you don't know if you do a bunch of things, they might seem like unrelated. And then you look back and connect the dots and you realize that there's like a common thread amongst all of the work that you're doing. This feels very relevant to this particular topic. Um, so hi, I'm Jihad. Um, have been working in crypto, I guess, full time for almost two and a half years now which is pretty wild. Um, prior to that, I ran a creator growth agency with a buddy of mine. Uh, we helped big YouTubers grow their audiences, make more money, ran into a lot of the problems that we'll probably talk about today with creators running their own media businesses. Um, and from there sort of was looking for alternate business models for those creators came across NFTs and was like, wow, this is crazy. Um, but I had absolutely no idea how to explain it or what the right value prop was for creators at the time. And things were just super early. So they wanted absolutely nothing to do with this new obsession that I had. Um, fast forward to like six months later, company ends up getting acquired. I'm working at Syndicate Protocol, working on investment, DAO tooling and infrastructure, uh, but still working part time with Forefronts. And then later that year, transitioned full time with Forefront which I've been involved with for that full two and a half years that I've been working in crypto, but I guess full time with them for about a year now. Um, Forefront is the, we'll call ourselves the home of tokenized communities. Um, So we're building a community and media arm for folks to to get involved, to learn about tokenized communities for operators and builders who want to collaborate with each other Um, and building tools for like media experiments, particularly around like on-chain curation. So. Uh, We recently launched this product called Spotlight, which every few weeks we drop a new capsule of like 8 to 10, you know, media NFTs, content that's on chain for folks to collect. And we're basically saying like, hey, based off of what our community has been talking about, here are the things on chain that we think are worth collecting. Um, Sort of like an experiment with an on chain magazine. So, yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit of what I've been up to forefront wise and and how I got in
0: yeah i feel like that's all very relevant context for this conversation um both on sort of the the i wouldn't call like what you're doing before with creators traditional media i guess it's like this weird in between between like internet Mm -hmm. native media but that doesn't quite work well and then moving more into like this web3 context um and you recently wrote this piece called luxury media which is an incredible piece i will link it in the show notes Anyone who has not read it absolutely should. Um, But I guess maybe we can start off by setting a little bit of the groundwork for um, what currently internet native media looks like. And maybe we can lay some of that groundwork for exploring why that doesn't work or why that model is broken.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty big question. I think the two things to focus on are the nature of distribution and then the business models right so a on the nature of distribution side i think media on the internet today um is very much audience driven right so it is i am a publisher and i am broadcasting this information out to as large an audience theoretically as possible right um the goal then and is to optimize for reads, to optimize for eyeballs, to optimize for views, and to optimize for clicks, right? Do we care about engagements? Depends on the particular company, but generally not. Um, We care about like how many people we can get in the door and how many eyeballs we can reach. From a business model perspective, that means basically one of two avenues. Either A, you are going the advertising route, um, which is probably the the business model that is most closely aligned to like this broadcast uh, like distribution style, where like my goal as a publisher is just to get as many eyeballs of this as possible. From a company's perspective or an advertiser's perspective, I want as many eyeballs on my ad as possible, so it checks out. And then the other business model that has obviously been around for a very long time, but is I think caught fire on the internet in the last like five to ten years, is the subscription business model or the membership business model, where. I am paying for access to content, um, or I am paying to sustain a particular creator's work in exchange for some like additional benefits over the average reader. And I think the, the context of the luxury media essay is that fundamentally for what we'll call internet native media, both of those business models are flawed, right? So when we think about like what makes something internet native, In my mind, it means that it is free. It means that it is infinitely replicable. And it means that it is like widely distributed, right? If I write an essay on my blog or I put out a tweet on Twitter, theoretically, everybody in the world with access to the internet can see that thing and it can be shared like almost instantaneously in countless ways, right? When we think about the time in which the content business models that we just described were developed those things weren't true about media right like when you think about a newspaper subscription i'm paying for the the physical newspaper but i'm also paying for like the delivery of that newspaper right it's not that it could just be instantaneously at my door somebody actually had to come to it i'm paying for the paper in which it was printed on um and i'm paying for the full-time journalists who are you know, going out every day and and writing pieces that end up in that newspaper. Um, With media today, that's not necessarily the case, right? Like a tweet is not necessarily created by a full-time journalist. You or I could tweet just as well. And I might get just as much value out of it as I would in a piece of content that was in one of those more traditional mediums. So all of that is to say there are very clear problems um, and like misalignment between the nature of media today and the nature of the business models that we continue to use and the luxury media piece sort of came out of asking a question of what does a business model or an economic framework for Internet native media look like if we're fully embracing the nature of what media looks like on the Internet today, which we should definitely talk about. Like, what is the way that creators can sustain themselves? And that the communities who are contributing to it can also sustain themselves. And I think you get like a very non-traditional but almost obvious answer to that question when you really dig into it. Because in my mind, luxury media is just like, it was more of an observational piece than an invention, right? Like this is what is happening at the cutting edge of the internet today. And the goal is to sort of popularize that model and, and get more creators eyes open to the fact that they could be thinking this way.
0: Yeah. And I want to talk about, like, you kind of touched on some of the pieces around what it means to have, like, internet native media and what that looks like in, in practice. But even before that, a distinction that you make in the piece that I think is important in the context of this conversation is the difference between media and content. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that as well.
1: Yeah. So the the way that i like, outlined it in the piece is, like, when we're referring to media, we're talking about the vehicle through which information is delivered, right? So... A TV, like TVs, are media. TikTok, or, or maybe more specifically, like an algorithmic video feed, is media. Um, books are media, right? But when we talk about content, we're referring to the information that is being delivered, not the medium through which it is being delivered, right? So, it's, content is the stuff packaged within the media. The news story in the TV, the the Corn Kid, is the content of TikTok. The um, You know, the words inside of the book or the story that is being told is the content of the book. And I think the reason that distinction was important is when you're talking about Internet native media, there was this really interesting piece that I had read as I was like thinking through this essay um, from the folks over at New Models. And they basically outlined this idea of what they call platform physics. Um, And they were talking about it in in the context of social media, like basically every new platform has its own physics, its own constraints around like how information can be made, how information is distributed, how it's consumed. Right. And the nature of those physics dictate the type of content that is created on the platform. Right. So the the medium and like this goes back to like the whole like the medium is the message. The medium shapes what is what content ends up on the platform. Um, I think when you start thinking about media and content in that light, and you start to see that distinction, then if you say like, okay, what does media look like on the internet today? Like what are the physics of the internet today? The physics of the internet are it like, it makes content infinitely replicable. It makes it like frictionlessly created. It makes it instantly distributed what does that mean for the content itself? And then what does that mean for the business models that are built on top of that content? Um, so that was sort of the, the, the backdrop of the rest of the essay, I guess, was really like digging into what, what that distinction is and like what that means for, for the future.
0: Yeah. I think also like an additional piece here that you like lightly mentioned in the piece, but that I think is important and interesting is that not only is media online, optimally free, widely distributed, and able to be replicated. But you start, maybe because of those physics and also because of like all the AI stuff that's been going on, you really start to see in a a world where media or I suppose content is like so abundant that you start to ask the question of like, what is even valuable? And to Mm -hmm. me, that's kind of the underlying question that you're starting to get at here, which is given the physics of this, like, how do we actually figure out what even matters and what what things on the Internet um, are actually valuable worth and worth like creating and reading and consuming versus all the other bullshit that is now surfaced? And I think that to me is the question that you're starting to answer in this piece, I guess, before mm-hmm. you we dive into the answer to it. Do you think that's a fair way to frame it?
1: One hundred percent I think that's like true on on both the macro and the micro like at the macro there's just so much there there's an infinite amount of content that exists in the world like if you were trying to theorize like what content is valuable and what content is is not valuable societally, it would be impossible to do so because there's it's just like way too much stuff and there's too many different lenses through which you can view it and then at the micro level like the the stated advice of like being a content creator on the internet today is like, you should pump out as much content as possible um, so yeah. that something hits, right? And like, no matter how much I love your podcast, if you were putting out a podcast a day, like I just would not be able to consume all of that content. Um, so, in my, like, at the micro level, then like the value of your podcast in my eyes decreases at like the marginal episode level because there's just too much stuff. Right. So I think it's, it's true both ways. And as a result, like you need a business model that is grappling with the limited attention at both a societal level and an individual level of uh, the people consuming it.
0: Totally. OK, so all of that context, what makes media valuable? In an internet-native context, moving forward, like if the subscription model is broken, if the ad model is broken, if this abundance of media is kind of fucking everyone over, and no one really knows where to direct their attention, um, or creators don't have good models because of a bunch of other reasons, um, where how do we value media and what what does matter?
1: For sure. So going back to what we just like what we were just talking about around, there's tons of content out there. There's no real way to vet what is valuable and what is not valuable at like an absolute or objective level, right? Um, and even if there was, it would just be insanely difficult for me to try to filter all of that content using that particular filter. Um, I need help, right? And that help comes from like some means or lens or method of contextualizing the content that I could use for whatever it is that I care about, right? And I think the way that that is happening, like I was thinking about this and I'm like, oh, this sounds like very amorphous. Like, what does that actually mean? But like, when I think about the way that I have been consuming content on the internet for the last like couple of years now, um, it's been very community driven, right? Like if I see an essay published in the New York Times, I'm likely not going to read it by default. But if that same exact essay is shared in a community that I care about and that I have trust attributed to, I'm going to read it immediately. Right. And that's like a very obvious thing when said. Um, And I think a lot of people resonate with that experience, but around the same time that I was writing this essay, like two other, I was either reading or two other essays were published. Um, The first was Rafa's community unchained essay. And in that one, he basically talks about, community itself being a new form of media. Um and the reason for that being like the lines are blurring between like what the message is and like who the messengers are. Um like the the digital content that we're pulling in is actually not just the content, but the relationships, the inventories, the mind space. Um, and that was like a really important idea for me to like start thinking through. The other one is is we've talked about before, but Toby's uh, life after lifestyle essay where he basically makes the argument that like culture is the product and he really really emphasizes in that essay and his positive some goods essay that other internet published a few months prior um where they basically make the argument that like when you're talking about public goods like you have to define the public and then you have to actually do something that is good um and again resonates here like when you have all of this content at your disposal the things that matter are like, okay, what is the point of view that I care about? And then how can this stuff, whether it is an essay, a podcast, a, a product, whatever it might be, be used in service of supporting, proliferating and manifesting that point of view? Um, and in that way, media takes on a very active form. Like if you're going to understand all of this stuff and consume all of this stuff that is on the internet, you need a filter that is going to say like okay we are going to take in inputs and like push out outputs and that filter has to mean something to you in order for you to want to use it and so the conclusion of the piece is that filter is community right like community is in the, in the word of the, the words of the new models team um like this holographic lens through which you view content on the internet and build context around content on the internet um and in a lot of ways, regardless of what type of community that you're in or how you define community, the fundamental means of, of like community development and activity is context around media or like creating context around media, right? It is discussion of media. It is sharing media. It is distributing media, right? Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of how you land on this conclusion that Community is internet native media. And thus, we need to build a business model that accounts for that and not a business model that treats content as like the core product.
0: Yeah. And I, I guess like a call out here that I think is interesting to make as well is like, this isn't a particularly new concept in the human story. I think the internet has not done a great job capturing the way that humans actually engage with one another around media and like i'll use an example which is kind of a ridiculous one but it's like bible studies are communities around a piece of media who Mm -hmm. are dissecting exploring and creating like net new conclusions around and and taking uh, a very specific approach to a piece of media like There is, there is this, I think, um, weird dynamic because of the physics of the internet that we haven't really been able to create like a, a Bible study-esque, you know, actually effective in terms of business model. um, Like, I don't really know. I wouldn't call it a platform, but like a dynamic. Um, Because of, I think, partially the way that creators have been held up as like, solo entrepreneurs, basically, and like all these weird things. And so um, I really, really like this idea that the next wave of um, the way that we orient ourselves around media on the internet is actually going to be this like community centric approach. And I think it much more uh, appropriately reflects what humans actually do in real life or what they've been doing for thousands of years. Um, But I guess like one question, and then I want to dive into like the luxury media label and what that actually means. But one Mm -hmm. question there is like, what do you think is changing about the internet that's enabling that? Like, why, why wasn't this the case 10 years ago? Or why, why wasn't this something that has sort of come to fruition already?
1: I think that's a great question. Hey, I love the Bible study. Um, analogy, we should get back to that. But what has changed about the internet? I think two things. I think a, there's it's just like a um like platform maturity. like at the end of the day, and we know this as, as people who are like very familiar with the development of crypto over the last five years. like no matter how mature a technology is like fundamentally, like on paper, I could read the specs and I could say, hey, all of this stuff is possible. Um, it takes a while for like humans to actually like go through these processes of trial and error and determine like how they actually want to use the thing, right? Internet development aside, right? Like it was possible to make something like Facebook in 2002 in the same way that it was possible in 2008 in the same way that it was possible. That's possible in like 2023. But like Facebook was made at a particular period of time and it's not going to be made the same way again, because we have like lessons that we've learned. We have um, like behaviors that we prefer versus don't prefer and things that we've gotten accustomed to and, and ways that we want to use the technology. So that's number one. Number two, I think is when we're talking about like business, like questions of business model, a lot of it comes down to like what financial and identity rails exist. And I think, I mean, I was actively trying to avoid not making this essay a crypto piece. Like it definitely mentions crypto a couple of times. Um, But like fundamentally, this is not a crypto piece. This is a media piece. That said, like one of the major components that make this possible is the fact that crypto has enabled the financialization of content online because you're now able to collect media, essentially, right? Like, A, you can think about like what it looks like at a community level. Like, how do you access communities? How do you make your communities platformless? How do you make sure that like information is reaching the people that it needs to like reach? That's number one. Number two, then it's like, okay, when we're thinking through why Chase's podcast is valuable and then how we actually go about through like transferring that value financially, like you need to tokenize the podcast, right? Like I need to be able to say like, hey, like Chase to this thing. I collected it. There is a relationship now, a financial relationship between myself and you as the podcast creator. Um, and again, like you can make the argument that all of those things were technically possible pre-crypto, but they're a lot easier post-crypto. And I think adoption of those tools, regardless of what we call them and how, how they manifest, is going to unlock a lot more experimentation with media business models.
0: Yeah. And I feel like as we get into this idea of luxury media and like what it looks like for communities to sort of filter um, content through a specific lens and proliferate a certain like POV, I think where things get interesting there as well is just that um, media up until this point has kind of been platform dependent. Like, Mm -hmm. I think one of the I, I feel like It's not often stated, or at least I'm not in the circles where this is stated, but like on-chain media is platformless media in theory. Mm -hmm. Getting into the nuances of that in practice is, there's an episode with Rafa on that, but like in practice, Mm -hmm. um, or I guess in theory, ideally it is platformless. And so that I think is also interesting in the context of what does it look like to be able to then unlock any type of community to engage with any type of media, like the number of combinations then grows exponentially. Um, And also the power of being able to curate that stuff without needing to be locked into a certain platform, like what we've seen with Reddit is also very interesting.
1: 100%. I think um, this guy, Tyler, who I hope to talk to very, very soon on a call, but uh, put out a video, um, like a video essay about the nature of like platforms and platformlessness on the internet like this past week and he articulated it articulated it very well i think that the distinction here is not like okay like we could talk about like ownership of media and we could talk about what that means but like fundamentally the distinction is like i am now the publisher not the platform Right. And the publishing aspect is really, really important, right? If I upload a video to YouTube, I still have the video file on my computer. If YouTube takes the video down, I still have the video file, but I cannot monetize that video anymore because YouTube took it down. I cannot distribute that video anymore because YouTube took it down. And I have to go through all of that work in order to do that. Whereas if I am the publisher and I actually own the content on chain, um, then I can monetize it in a variety of different ways. I'm not restricted to platform rules. I can distribute it in a variety of different ways. and way. So I think it's the publishing aspect that like gives you that power. Um, and I think that's what people are starting to play with.
0: Yeah. Okay. So it feels like we have the problem space, which is that there's an abundance of media. Doesn't the current monetization mechanisms don't really work with like the physics of the internet and the physics of platforms, Introducing this idea of actually being able to explore new types of media, which are much more community centric, potentially enabled by things like on chain media, where you actually don't necessarily have to abide by the physics of one specific platform, which kind of creates a new open space for how you might want to monetize media and what that might look like. And also creates this like potentially better reflection of how humans actually engage with one another and with media, which is like potentially the Bible study model. Um, Mm -hmm. And then now you get into this idea of like luxury media and what that actually looks like, which I feel like is kind of the combination of current models are fucked we have new potential models. Um, so can you talk about where luxury media came from in given sort of that problem space and current set of opportunities?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. I'll just tell this story because I think it's funny. Um, so I was listening to an acquired podcast on LVMH, like the fashion house. And I remember texting... Steph from Vessel and Broadcast. And I was like, she was the one who told me to listen to the episode. And I was like, this idea of luxury and like the way that they define luxury is super interesting. And then we were just going back and forth and like tagging, like attaching the word luxury to like a bunch of different things. And we were like luxury software, luxury this, luxury that. And then I said luxury media. And we were both like, ooh, like this is, what does that even mean? And we both like came to the conclusion that it doesn't mean anything. And it's a stupid term. Um, But then (laughs) like... (laughs) But then like two weeks later, um, I I had a conversation with somebody and I just started like taking notes and basically we started like going through this thesis of, okay, so content creation and distribution is tending to infinity. Um, like the physics of the internet make it so I should be able to like consume any content at any time that I want without it being restricted because information wants to be free. And if that's the case, then content doesn't have a like intuitive business model, right? Like if I don't need to pay to access it and I don't need to pay to distribute it, then then what am I paying for? And we sort of landed in this conversation on this, on the conclusion that like you're paying for a like supporting the creator themselves because you like them, you like what they stand for, you like their their brand. And B, you're paying to support the point of view of that particular media. Like if you, if you subscribe to this idea that like creators are creating what they want to see more of, then if you're supporting content, you're supporting their particular point of view in the world and like the proliferation of that point of view, both from like a like a an ab, like from an abstract perspective, but also like a very tangible, like maybe that turns into product or or service or change. Um, and when you like, look at it that way, essentially that is the same business model or the same like economic thinking as like the luxury good business, right? Like when you're buying a luxury good, what are you paying for I'm not paying a grand for a coach bag because it costs them $950 to make that coach bag. I'm paying a grand for the coach bag because of the coach brand. Um, and What that signals and what that stands for, and what I want to be associated with. And prior to like on chain media, the what that signals, what that stands for, what I want to be associated with weren't really possible digitally um, in the context of content. But like now that you could actually have ownership over content and again, like have that like on chain connection, um, all of those things become possible. So luxury media is. I call it like a framework for the economic sustainability of internet native media. But essentially it it comes down to this idea that like we're returning to the business of patronage. Like we are not paying for the utility of the thing. We are funding the story, the taste, the culture, and we're funding. It's like, we're supporting it and funding its proliferation. Um, And you said earlier that like these ideas aren't new. Like this, this idea of like community, like the Bible study is not like a new thing. It's 100% true. And like, patron is also obviously isn't new. Right. And even on the internet, it's not new. Like if you think about Patreon, like Patreon as a platform, it's in the name. That's, that's what it was supposed to be. Um, But when you start adding on these layers of like, okay, the platformlessness, the infinite distribution, you don't want things to be gated. You don't want things to be locked. Like you want to give creators and people complete freedom. Um, Then you're really getting to the meat of like, I don't necessarily need additional benefits to pay for something. I'm paying for it because I want to be associated with it. And I want to support that brand and that point of view in action.
0: Yeah, I think there's something really interesting about this idea of like what it means to be able to collect and own and be a patron of um, a creator or of a, a like some sort of creative output. One of the things that comes to mind is that I think on the internet today, um, without models like this, if you really like someone's content, the best thing that you can do is effectively help with distribution Um, and maybe buy these like other weird things like merch. But like none of that is actually community oriented in the sense that if you like a certain podcast and I like a certain podcast, it's not like the most empowering thing for both of us to just be like, oh yeah, we like follow, you know, that podcast on Spotify. Like there's nothing particularly empowering as someone who wants to support the show. Um, and there's also not like net new, you and I are not creating net new cultural production because we're not actually connected in any way. And so I think this idea of patronage is not only interesting in the context of being a much more, um, direct model for potentially expressing our own desires to like support the creation of new media and and support existing media and all that but i also feel like it's potentially a lot more empowering for people who are consuming media
1: 100 percent, and it definitely like as a consumer it change it fundamentally changes your relationship with media right like you are no longer just an audience member um But given the fact that you now have like these like verifiable associations with the media that with the content that you care about and with the other people who care about it, inherently communities are going to be developed. Right. And like whether like community loosely defined, um, you could argue it's a, a scene more than it is a community. Right. But. Whatever, whatever terminology you want to use, like there is, there is a network developed. There's an association developed between you, the content, the creator and the other people who care about that thing. Um, and when you start to create some legibility around those things, a lot of fun stuff can happen. Right. I think one of the more interesting things to think about is micropayments on the internet are seen as this thing that like has never worked. Like people have always tried like, Oh, pay $1. You can get access to this New York times article and talk to any media exec. And they will tell you that that's a flawed business model. There are a bunch of reasons that it doesn't work. Um, and maybe this is naive, but I would argue that like, there are two fundamental changes that make this like if you look at patronage as essentially like an exercise in micropayments, um, like there are two reasons I think this like it actually works today. The first being that you you actually have like a verifiable relationship with the person that you're supporting and other people can see that you supported it. So patronage becomes a social game, which I think is a massive incentive for people to actually like change that behavior. Um And also B, our comfort level with like the digital world has increased exponentially over the last five years, even. And I think, and also our comfort level for like paying for things digitally crypto aside. And I think what that looks like is if you told me, like if you chase were like, give me $10 a month to support the podcast, I'd do it because you're the homie, but I'd be much less incentivized to do that than if I listened to one of your podcast episodes, really, 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 really enjoyed it. And I was like, let me collect this thing for $25. Right. Economically, that is not a rational decision to make, but socially that is the behavior that I would prefer. Um, Mm. And I think it took a while for us, like just as a, as internet folks to like get to that point because a lot of things needed to develop and i still i think a lot more things still need to develop right like maybe me and you would like uh act on that behavior but like my mom still won it and it right. would probably take her another five to ten years before she does but mm.
0: yeah i mean and i think you also make this point around this idea and i think this goes back to like some of the whole platform physics and on-chain physics basically creating a lot more space for net new types of behaviors um, you also make the the case in this piece and I want to get into like the term luxury, but before we do that, like, I think there, there is definitely a case to be made that when you unlock that type of behavior in a space that is platformless, you also allow us to become curators and like co-creators mm-hmm. of things. And so I think the other interesting thing here along The lines of like looking at what on-chain media can actually do is just unlocking and kind of freeing people from the existing roles of creator or consumer and into to a different, more ambiguous, but also much more um, open design space.
1: 100%. I think like the ambiguity is definitely a good thing. Like, as somebody who's, like, very active in DAOs, um, like, over the last couple of years, you know firsthand that, like, creating these rigid roles of member, contributor, core contributor, um, governor, like, whatever it might be, like, breaking people into working groups, whatever, like, nobody wants that. <laughs> for, like, nobody actually has fun in those environments. And it's because you are, like you're not only giving people real responsibility, but then you're also giving people this like additional perceived responsibility that scares them away. And then they don't want to be active. Right. Um, I think in the context of these, like, you know, luxury media brands or communities um, of which, like, I think folklore from Rafa is like a really, really good, like quintessential example of like what this could look like. Uh, You have members who are like paying to be a part of the community, but and then it's just like this, uh, like these cultural norms that are created that members can curate, members can write, members can be commissioned, members can, like there are a bunch of things that members can do, but you don't have to do it. So if you want to like really blur your role as a member of the community, you totally can. There are avenues to do that. There are games that you could play. If you don't want to, you could still be a traditional audience member, um, and reap that benefit from the community as well. So I think it's really about like, opening up the doors, like what all these technologies do and what these frameworks do is open up the doors for people who were previously just audience members to become more than audience members. But you're not putting this responsibility on people to say like, hey, in order to step into this new world, you have to do X, Y, and Z now. Um, And I think that's like much more palatable to the average consumer and a much more direct way of actually like onboarding folks I hate that word, but into <laughs> this world. Um, so, yeah, I think that's like a really big point of emphasis for me.
0: Yeah. And I think the other interesting thing there is like, you know, zero structure is also not good. You, ideally, you want, to your point, um, the ability to like create constraints around what people can do, but create enough mm-hmm. flexibility that people can step in with their own um level of of engagement at any time. And I think what gets interesting there, and I think this kind of dovetails into like what you actually mean by luxury. Um, but, but I think what that really means when you're putting these constraints in is you're, you're creating physics for your community that are not reliant on the platform. So really you're Mm -hmm. shifting like where the physics are. Um, so you could say in, in this specific Bible study group, this is how we engage with media. This is how we co-create media. Um, here is like your menu of options. And by defining that at the community level, rather than on the platform level, where like you're not doing Bible study on Reddit because Reddit has all of these weird specific things that you have to abide by and so um, you're kind of introducing physics at a different layer to me this gets into what you I think mean by luxury in this piece and what you mean when you say luxury media which feels more like it's actually divining defining these like exclusive um highly curated sort of like niche communities than it is this like you know, Louis Vuitton style, um, culturally, everyone is going to be excluded except for these people. And so that will be how we define quote unquote luxury. Um, yeah. So I'm curious how that feels.
1: 100%. I love what you just said about like, you're just changing where the physics are located. Um, like, yeah, that's, that's facts. Like imagine I want to create a community and I'm like, oh, we're going to create a community on Twitter. Well, that would suck because then everybody could only talk in like 280 character bits. And then you're like, wait, I want to talk in like long form. Well, then maybe you shouldn't use Twitter, right? But you only have so many options and each option has their own constraints that you're not choosing. Whereas a platformless community, you're basically taking the tools necessary to create the space and create the physics that are like most conducive to what your community is trying to accomplish. So I love that. From a like, as far as like why the term luxury? two things i think a again when you view it through the lens of like a luxury good i generally or i genuinely believe that like this is the best word that we could use to describe this phenomenon right like when we think about luxury in general we do usually think about like you know luxury hotel luxury bag a luxury car um but when you think about like what does luxury mean it's like the thing shouldn't like fundamentally, economically shouldn't be that expensive, but you're paying more for it because you're paying for the brand and you're paying for the status that it comes with and the signaling that it comes with, right? That also means that like for something really, really cheap, here's a great example is like I could pay for water, right? Maybe this bottle costs a dollar, but if I pay for liquid death, which is also just water, I'm paying for the brand and I might pay like five or $6, right? That's not egregiously expensive to the point where it's, you know, the vast majority of people in the world couldn't afford a $5 water bottle. They would probably be stupid to buy a $5 water bottle, (laughs) but that's like a different story, right? Um, So the point being that like, we talk about luxury in terms of like these really, really, really expensive things, but really all it means is that like, you're paying a premium, not for necessarily quality, but for brand, for story, for signaling, for purpose, right? And for association. So that's number one because that's exactly what this model is describing. Is like, hey, you could probably get free access to all this information to all this content anyway, but we're paying for like the context created by the community, the proliferation of a specific point of view, and the conversations that I get to have around that. The second thing that I think really makes luxury like a the ideal term here is is what you just said about you're creating these very, like, I guess, for lack of a better term, like for premium experiences, um, like if you're able to fully customize the way that you interact with content and people on the internet, that's powerful. Right. And in the same way that you're able to do that in real life, like when you have friend groups or create communities or clubs or organizations, like all of the rules are completely up to you. Um, the same should be true on the internet and i think relative to the experiences that we have on the internet today a platformless community that is focused on like proliferating a point of view is a luxury right um so i think there's like a very like pragmatic practical reason that i think the definition or that i think the word matters and that was the first thing but i also think there's like a very intuitive reason as well like this is just different and better than and more premium than the experiences that exist on the internet today that doesn't mean they're necessarily super exclusive um, or like you know walling out people who can't afford those experiences um, because they're not necessarily defined by wealth but they are defined by you putting in some sort of value financial or otherwise in order to pay for that story narrative belonging, et cetera.
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting because weirdly, like another thing that comes to mind if you take that model to the fullest degree, is that, so everything on the internet becomes kind of bucketed in two different categories. One is luxury media and one is almost like public goods, where Mm -hmm. it's accessible, it's non-excludable, like all of these different things. and I think in that way, um, luxury becomes redefined completely because it no longer means to your point that something is like totally out of reach. It actually just means that it is a specific and unique type of experience um, that, yeah, you're essentially in some way valuing as a premium on top of um, what it would otherwise be. And I think that becomes a really interesting model as well, because I feel like right now, one of the main like underlying problems that, that you got at in the beginning is just that we just, we don't have a good way of valuing things on the internet. We don't really have a good way of understanding like what should we expect as a baseline and what are we willing to put more time, effort, money, whatever into. And so Mm -hmm. luxury as a term in that context, I think becomes um, a really, really helpful way to like, essentially signal a willingness to put more resources into something um, and a willingness to acknowledge, like, there are some things on the internet that should just be free and should not be luxuries. And I don't even think we have, like, a good idea of what 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 types of media right now on the internet fit in either of those categories or even what types of platforms. Like, whether or not Twitter yeah. should be a public good is a very interesting question.
1: I think I was having a conversation about this with, with Caron actually this week. Like, yeah, by no means am I advocating that like all media should fall under this framework, right? Um, but you you brought up two good points. A, I think traditional journalism, like as we as we usually think about it, would be a horrible fit for this particular framework because if you're like if you're making the argument that like journalism should be as objective and unbiased as possible, well this is this is arguing the opposite this is saying that like your your content in your community should be as subjective and biased as possible toward a particular point of view right and that is what's going to get people to to pay and to support so yeah, like traditional journalism then needs to think about like a different business model and probably like if we're if we're making the argument that um like all information on the internet is is free openly distributed that like Advertising and subscriptions only work in like a particular subset of cases. Well, then journalism should probably be a public good, like investigative journalism, right? So that's that's number one. Number two, um, I forget what number two was, so we'll stick with number
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that I think that's a really good point, and it also makes me wonder if like some of the uh, existing business models on the internet are actually really good business models for public goods, but not other things. Like I do think that there's a world in which you treat Twitter like a public good and it's an ads business. And, you know, obviously that's like totally redefining what public goods are in terms of like an economic concept, but we've just completely stolen that term in web three and used it in about a million different wrong ways. So I feel like we can continue running with it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I mean like,
1: Oh man, this yeah we probably shouldn't get into that because we could talk about that all day, but like even if even if you use the traditional like definition of public good um which means like it doesn't have a business model it's being It's being philanthropically supported or publicly supported in some way. um yeah, like something like Twitter probably should be a public good in the same way that like Farcaster, for example Um, where these other like web three social tools are like open protocols that technically are public goods. And then the businesses are built on top of the protocols um, rather than the be like the protocol itself. So I think in a world where like the monetization is happening again, like at the community and context level um, or at the cultural production level, then there is plenty of money to be made there and the protocols themselves can be open public and free that's also like i think this is this is an interesting conversation to get into as well like one of the big things that i've been thinking about is like are luxury media businesses actually like good businesses like are they just i use the term like economically sustainable on purpose because like the only thing that i wanted to argue is that like they could sustain themselves right but i'm like increasingly starting to believe that they're actually really freaking good businesses like that could be profitable they're just not going to be you know, venture scale, right? Like I have no doubt that something like folklore, again, to use that example, could be generating, you know, seven figures in revenue in five years from now with like thousands of members. To me, that's a really good business, um, especially given that like the, the margins are very, very low because like the nature of these things don't require you to have like a bunch of people on staff right? Because to your point, like members can like step up and be contributors and get paid for that work and and what have you. However, if I told you this media business is only going to make a million dollars a year, a VC wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pole. So there's this really interesting like space in the middle where just like we say that like creator led businesses can be very, very niche and good for like an indie creator. I think these like Community led, like luxury media businesses, could be very good businesses, both for the founders, the contributors, and just like to sustain it over time to make sure that that point of view is continuing to be supported. Um, But it's going to require like a different framework to like get it off the ground.
0: This is like something that I find fascinating in general, which is just that I think that we, particularly in Web3, but I think actually in internet native businesses, period over-index on VC funding as a mechanism. And I think we do not have appropriate sources for funding that actually match the size of businesses that most people end up creating. which is like, I don't know if we're going to have, I like, you know, small to medium sized business loan type of things emerging. I would imagine we need a lot more data on um, whether or not these are economically sustainable businesses and if they actually can even go beyond that and be um, wildly profitable, at, even if their margins are um, like you could have high margins, but because you're not doing a ton of output to the point about like quality and whatever, you, you might not make to your point like 10 or 100 X returns like a VC wants. Um, which makes you think like, I guess if, if there was a funding mechanism for something like luxury media, um, what do you think it would look like?
1: I think eh, a lot of them will be bootstrapped. So it's like, Hey, like I have this point of view. Um, well, actually we won't get into that. I was going to say that, like, I think the first thing to note is that. In my mind, like luxury media brands could be started like very, very easily and like in a straightforward manner. It's like if you create a feed and you're just dripping out like a piece of content every day that sort of like aligns people around your particular point of view that you want to have supported, you don't even need to be creating the content yourself. Um, But like, let's say you create a feed and you just update that feed every single day for like two months, I guarantee you that you will have like a decent following. And people who are interested in like continuing to contribute to the feed and create media around the brand and the point of view that you've like curated within that feed, right? Um, and that's how like folklore and a lot of other things get started. That's sort of like what we are doing at forefront with like the weekly newsletter and daily signal. Like that's how we attract people and like build the brand. So that being said, you don't really need a ton of money, if any, to like get that off the ground, right? Then the question becomes, okay, what is money needed for? Money is needed to pay for, for artifacts and commissions. Um, and it is needed to build any tools required for the community to like achieve its purpose and and like push forward its goals. And if that's the case, then there's like a bunch of different business models you or a bunch of different like uh like economic models you could think through. So like a loan, like you mentioned, would be one option, pre-selling memberships at the beginning and just saying like, Hey, for access to the space, which I mentioned in the article, like you're paying X amounts for access to this particular space, um, that puts money into the community treasury or into the business. Um, so I think you could start thinking through a lot of the different business models, including advertising, right? Like I'm not saying that advertising should no longer exist. I'm saying advertising should no longer exist as a means of sustaining content in a vacuum, right? But like, if a business wants to sponsor a particular community to get more eyeballs on their business, I think that's a great, well-aligned business model for both parties, right? Um, so yeah, I think, I think there are quite a few ways that you could think about it. I also think we'll see. Um, organizations like as this popular, as a step up and say like, Hey, I'll give your community $25,000 or $50,000 to like, get this thing off the ground. Um, and then I'll take a, a cut of revenue in perpetuity. Right. Again, that's in my mind, like much less, uh, aggressive and like more aligned than VC funding because you're not forcing the community to like reach a particular outcome. You're just asking them to be economically sustainable, which I think any community would want to be anyway.
0: I mean, it's a big ask in crypto. So.
1: <laughs> but hopefully we'll get there.
0: I don't know. Well, I, I certainly hope that that is true. Um, okay. Final question. If you had it your way and you know things play out as you expect them to, what does a world with an abundance of luxury media look like?
1: Oh, man, this is a good question. I think if if this thesis plays out the way that I expect it to, you as a'll t- I'll approach it from like the the reader and the creator perspective, or the consumer and the creator perspective. I think you won't see I think you will see an abundance of like personal blocks, right? And I think the the reason that I start there, is because each of these like luxury media publications or luxury media brands are going to demand like more content that aligns with the particular point of view of the community and like contextualizes the community. Um, And that's like a much lower lift because it is a very direct ask for a member of the community to write something for their community rather than saying like, hey, just start a blog, right? So I think there's going to be a lot more production which is counterintuitive because the whole thesis is around like hey there's already infinite content like we need to do something about it i think there's going to be a lot more production that is not meant for like wide distribution but is meant for like contextualization and enjoyment from like the particular community that you're involved in and i think that's really exciting because then the line between creator and consumer is completely blurred like everybody is creating something and it's a matter of like you have basically creator members and creator stewards right people who are just like supporting the uh community and the point of view and people who are like actively pushing it forward and trying to steer the ship um and then i think the second thing is you're going to see like the fall of the town square like i think we already see this with threads launching like this week like Twitter isn't going to matter as much as a distribution method because when you reach the point where like okay I have 5000 or 10000 members in my community and it is self-sustaining and we are reaching the people that we want to reach and we have we own our own distribution and we own our own content and our own publishing the social media platforms like as they currently exist today matter a lot less so this whole thesis of like cozy web that we've been talking about for a very long time i think actually like manifests itself because the the economics are now there for us to like retreat into our cozy web whereas before we all had to come out of the cave if we wanted to sustain ourselves
0: interesting do you do you think is just a quick follow up on that like how do you think people are going to find these communities do you think like there will be an element where I I, I kind of think that with scenes, especially somewhere like New York, um, part of the reason that they can be so rich is because it is not easy to discover them. Mm-hmm. And there's like a certain amount of friction that does make me wonder as we like retreat into our caves, if we're going to see something similar with luxury media and these like more intimate cozy web type of communities. I mean, that kind I, of already exists to some degree, but
1: yeah. And I would say that's 100% true. I'm curious, I'll flip the question back to you. Like as somebody who who read the essay, we had this conversation, like obviously we've had conversations privately about this as well. Like how do you see this fitting within your own practice as a creator? Um, and like what parts of this resonate versus don't?
0: Mm. I think that the... Notion of like luxury media is very appealing from the perspective of almost like relief of not having to grow at a rate that seems unsustainable or not even having to like strive towards that. Like, I think it's a really interesting mental model for a different type of um, way of orienting yourself around media. I think that's really appealing. Um, I think that the challenge comes in when you think about the overhead of aligning different stakeholders in the creation and consumption of media. And I say that in the context of, like, if I wanted to create a community of people around the podcast who actually could, like, curate and co-create elements of, or even things that are like thematically similar to the podcast, I need to be pretty strong about my POV. And that's like a significant amount of overhead and kind of a lack of flexibility, which is not a bad thing. And I think can become something really incredible if you invest the time and energy into it. Um, I think moving from being someone who's like more independent and creating towards a luxury media business seems daunting for those reasons but i think it's just as daunting yeah. to push forward on a lux- on a media company or on a um any sort of like consistent creation of media by yourself so it's like it's just about when you invest time and energy into something
1: yeah i think it's interesting that you worded it that way because that's exactly how i'm thinking about it as well like the, the this thesis does not depend on like decentralized content creation right like chase starting a luxury media business does not inherently mean that like other people are going to be contributing to the podcast in fact it would be a net negative if other people were contributing to the podcast because like you said like that point of view probably gets watered down what happens instead likely if the, if this like thesis were to play out is like chase has her podcast the podcast apps as like acts as like the drip or the feed that is attracting people around your particular point of view. And then there is a level of like creation within the scene that is being created, um, in line with like that overarching point of view of which the podcast is one part. Right. So it's in a lot of ways, I think you could describe what we're talking about as like, like a business model for scenes. Like how do scenes economically sustain themselves? Um, and i think that's that's a really interesting thought experiment
0: yeah and i don't think it's dissimilar to a lot of what meta label has put out around collectives of like a luxury mm-hmm. media uh business is potentially a meta label or a collective of people coming together i think luxury media feels like more of the shelling point um it's like the why people come versus necessarily like the how people do it which is where i see luxury media and something like a metal label as being complimentary. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think the point about um creating a business model around scenes is really interesting. And then of course, like I would say as one final thought, I think one of the nuances that I always think about in that context is how does the introduction of incentives and financialization of things change the way that people engage in consumption, mm-hmm. creation, curation um, to the point where, I think you're totally right about making these things explicit. And I think that's like part of what platformless communities or platformless media enables is it allows the explicit definition of the physics and the explicit definition of how people can engage. But I think there's like a weird magic that you lose. And often that magic is like intrinsic motivation and excitement when you attach a label and a specific over articulation of what can and should happen. And so That is always an interesting thing for me around what does it look like to maintain the magic of scenes um, and of these like collectives while also allowing them to be more sustainable, giving them monetization mechanisms that they don't have now um, and allowing people who wouldn't otherwise be able to engage in co-creation to do that.
1: I agree. I think. And a lot of the problems that we've seen over the last couple of years, as far as like financialization of communities are concerned, really were problems of speculation, in, in my opinion. Like, mm. I think everybody agrees that people should be paid for their work. I think the question becomes, like, the – is the goal just for number to go up or is the goal for people to, like, be fairly compensated? Um, and I think you can create a very safe and creative environment that doesn't, like, kill the vibes by compensating people. But it's hard to do that when, like, people are focused on speculation and, like, constant upward trajectory. Um that's not to say that everything you said isn't true regardless of the environment and regardless of whether it's, it's speculative or not. But I think it's, it's a, it's a distinction to think about.
0: Yeah. I think that's definitely true. Um, well, this was so lovely. Jihad, where can people read your writing, learn more about all the things that you're doing at forefront and beyond?
1: Yes. Um, probably Twitter, Hit me up J A J A E S M as in mom, A I L. And besides that
0: you're not shilling your Hit threads
1: me. i'm not shilling my thread i hate threads so far <laughs> i'm like i've I've only seen mid content on threads I um, agree but you know we'll see i'll show my farcaster at at jihad sure. on farcaster hand me up
0: nice nice beautiful well thank you so much for coming on the show
1: appreciate you chase <laughs>